are you going? <laughs> that you're going to leave me. I forgot. <laughs> you going to cause trouble tonight? Evidently. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm trying not to. Good evening. Did you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse 17? Romans chapter 16, verse 17. And uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Two more classes in Romans. Can you believe it? It's like we started uh, on this book in 2000, May 1st, 2007. May 1st, 2007. So um, we have two more classes. This evening we're going to cover verses 21 through 23 of Romans chapter 16. And then Sunday we're going to do the doxology, the last uh, three verses of the, of the particular uh Epistle, and then it's all done with Romans, and then we move on to the book of Jonah next Tuesday. We'll start an introduction to that book, and it's going to be a totally different type of book than the book of Romans, of course. So with uh, that being said, let's take our moment of silent prayer before we get underway. Remember, we want to make sure that we're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, in fellowship with God, so we can hear what the Spirit's going to say to us through the teaching of the Word of God. And that, of course, means that we apply 1 John 1, 9, which says, If we confess our sins to the Father... He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins with the result that He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing so that we can hear, reconnect the phone line. It's kind of like, um, uh, let's say, uh, it, when you sin, it's kind of like losing connection to your phone line or your cell phone goes dead. <laughs> Somebody pulls the light out of the cell phone. Then when you confess your sins, then you get the, the phone line is reconnected to God so you can hear Him and He can talk to you. And, uh, so, uh, and you can talk to Him. So that's uh, very important that we remember that principle. And uh, we stay in fellowship with uh, God by obeying what He has to say. That's when we're filled with the Spirit, which is commanded to us in Ephesians 5.18. If there's anything that's bothering you at this time, and a lot of times we have tough days, of course, we're out there in the devil's world, we're battling our own sin nature, and we have our own trials and tribulations and things that we deal with. So uh, problems at work or family things or issues with uh, marriages or kids or what whatnot. The car broke down. I mean, uh, uh, this is uh, a lot of times it's very easy to get caught up in life and that we uh, just can't hear God. We're just too tired or we're just too, um, what's the word for, distracted uh, by the things of the world. So this is a time uh, that we have so we can just prepare ourselves uh, to hear God and just shut the world out at this particular time and just do it. First Peter 5, 7 says, I do it all the time, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for loving us with that love that's from eternity past, that's residing in your character and nature. And uh, we thank you for that love that was so self-sacrificial and gracious to us and compassionate and sending your Son to the cross while we, when we were your enemies. 
when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, and that we were antagonistic to you and hated you, and we were enslaved to the devil and the sin nature, and we just thank you, Father, for treating us this way, treating us in grace, and sending your Son to the cross, and we thank you for his willingness to become a man and to die for the sins of the world, and we thank you for raising him from the dead for our justification. And we know the fact that because we believed in your Son, we too shall be raised from the dead in a glorious resurrection body at the rapture of the church, which is imminent. We thank you, Father, for all the wonderful blessings that we've been finding, uh, learning about in your Word, not only about the different benefits that we have uh, in relation to our justification, but also our union and identification with your Son. We thank you for the fact that we're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with your Son at your right hand. And we just pray that the Holy Spirit, through the teaching of the Word of God, would continue to give us insight and understanding uh, into this great power and love that has been directed to us. So we could uh, have this victory now, experience this victory now, over sin, Satan, and this cosmic system. We also, Father, we just thank you, Father, for those individuals that are, that are here this evening, not only in the Thompson household, who we thank that we can uh, uh, study the Word in their home and have fellowship in the Word, uh, in their home. We thank you for their graciousness. We pray that you would bless them for doing so. We also thank you for the individuals that are uh, still following us and on PalTalk and on the website. We thank you for those who have been faithful and uh, to the teaching of the Word of God and that uh, operate in love and grace and forgiveness and patience and kindness and are living the spiritual life. We just thank you for them and we lift up uh, other ministries, uh, such as our own, throughout this country and the world. We pray for Jim Ricard's ministry. We pray, Father, for Bob McLaughlin's ministry and uh, others like them throughout this country that are getting the Word of God out. We thank you, Father, for them and, and others like them we don't know about. Continue to raise up positive volition in our ministry and all these other ministries throughout this country and the world that are serious about the Word of God. We also, Father, we just... Pray that uh, thank you for this study in the Book of Romans, and we just we know that we have two more lessons in it, and we just pray that you would bless this lesson this evening, and that uh, it would be a blessing to the body of Christ assembled here. We pray that you would help the audience to concentrate, to pay strict attention to what will be taught here in in your in the Book of Romans, and we just pray that you would give grace to the communicator so that he could deliver to your people the information that they need to go forward in your plan and bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And we also pray that this service would bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. So it is in our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray for these things. Amen. Alright, you should be at Romans chapter 16. I think I said verse 17. I want you to go to verse 21. Go to Romans 16, 21. Romans chapter 16, verse 21. And as I, uh, I mentioned earlier, we're going to do uh, verses 21 through 23 uh, this evening. In this chapter, Romans 16, there's a lot of uh, ground we can cover in one class because a lot of times he's, uh, Paul's just mentioning names and giving brief descriptions of these individuals. And this, evening's, uh, this evening is one of those uh, particular Bible classes. We're actually going to uh, see in verses 21 through 23, Paul passing along greetings to the Romans from eight individuals who were with him in Corinth when he wrote this Roman epistle. Remember, historically speaking, where this epistle was written, this great epistle was written, it was written from the city of Corinth in the winter of 57 AD. 
And Paul is going to now, this evening, as we see in Romans 16, verses 21 through 23, pass along greetings from those eight individuals that were with him in Corinth. And we're going to see one individual in particular this evening that was a, a especially near and dear to the Apostle Paul's heart. And that was his spiritual child, Timothy. And Timothy is uh, one of those individuals that uh, is mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament. He was quite a figure. And it's sad in our day and age, a lot of pastors, and I used to be one of them too, have uh, you know, kind of run down uh, Timothy and uh, said that he was kind of weak. And you know, Timothy was not weak at all. Uh, Timothy was much tougher than any pastor here in the 21st century in America around the world. They have no idea what this guy did for Paul and the body of Christ. He was a tremendous believer. Uh, he was, uh, church history says uh, that he was martyred. And uh, just like Paul, he was uh, killed for his faith. And he was a great individual. And he was one of those individuals that was in Corinth when Paul wrote this epistle. And so this is uh, what we're going to see here uh, this evening in our Bible class. It, it says in Romans 16, 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so, so do Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter, my kinsmen. Now, Timothy, his name is interesting. His name means one who honors God. And uh, his name is composed of the Greek noun time, which means honor, and the noun theos, which we, which we see many times in the past, which means God. So his name actually means one who's, who honors God. And of course, Timothy was an individual that honored God. And remember, he's mentioned so many times in the New Testament that, and the Holy Spirit, like the rest of the, uh, like the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, inspired the New Testament writers to write down what they wrote. And Timothy was, his name appears 24 times in the Greek New Testament. So the Holy Spirit saw fit to mention this man's name 24 times. He was a tremendous believer who was very loyal to the Apostle Paul. When Apostle Paul, remember Apostle Paul, a lot of people, a lot of people say, oh geez, if Paul was around teaching today, I would be with that guy. Well, at the end of Paul's life, well, think of all the lives Paul touched. Well, at the end of his life, it says in 2 Timothy, there was nobody left with him. Timothy was uh, with Paul when he died. Timothy was one of those guys. Luke was one of those guys that stuck with Paul. Titus was one of those guys that stuck with Paul through thick and thin. He was a very loyal individual. And so Timothy, his name again, it appears 24 times in the Greek New Testament and six times in the book of Acts. His name appears 18 times in Paul's epistles. And uh, one of which is in the book of Romans, our verse this evening. So it's interesting with Timothy, his history in, uh, with Paul begins or is recorded for us in Acts 16. That uh, Acts 16.1 indicates that Timothy came from a town called Lystra. And uh, on his second missionary journey... Paul met Timothy at Lystra, who may have been converted as a result of Paul's first visit to Lystra, and uh, was a, which was a highly uh, and Timothy was a highly regarded individual in the body of Christ at Lystra and Iconium. Now it's interesting. Paul's uh, his mother had become a believer, and uh, it, with his grandmother, according to Second Timothy one five. But yet his father is described as a Greek in Acts 16.1 and thus would have belonged to a small elite class of Lystra who had been educated in the Greek language and culture. So his, uh, Timothy's history begins for us in Acts. So go to Acts. Hold your place. Go to Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Right before the book of Romans, of course. Acts 16.1.
Now, Acts 16, 1 says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a great. Now, notice it doesn't say that his father was a believer, so it was one of those marriages, more than likely they were married, and then she got saved, his mother got saved, but his father did not. Otherwise, I'm sure the father would have been mentioned as being a believer as well. And it says in verse 2, in Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him, because of the Jews were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, a lot of people, and I mentioned this many times in our studies in the past, and uh, with Paul, and might you say, well, Paul's compromising here. I thought you're not supposed to get circumcised. Well, Timothy, uh, Paul knew that, and Timothy knew that. Paul wasn't having Timothy circumcised here as an adult because of um, uh, because he was compromising his doctrine. He knew that circumcision uh, didn't save Timothy, and Timothy knew that. What that he was already saved. So why was Paul having Timothy uh, uh, getting circumcised? Well, the the uh, the question is answered in First Corinthians nine, where Paul says, "I become to the Jew, I become a Jew." So what Paul did with Timothy is so that the Jews would listen to Paul and Timothy's message of the gospel. So the Jews would listen to it. They made sure that they covered all their bases and made Timothy uh, get Timothy circumcised, so that they they won't be able to say, "Hey, this guy is not a, is not circumcised, and he's a Jew." And thus he's not a part, then the Jews would never give the gospel a hearing because Timothy, who was a Jew, his mother was a Jew, then therefore he was considered a Jew, was then therefore uh, not uh, doing what the covenant, uh, the uh, stipulations in the law said that the covenant people should have, they should be circumcised. So he didn't want to have any stumbling blocks among the Jews. That's why they, for the, for the sake of, uh, for the sake of that, they made sure that Timothy was circumcised so that the Jews would give the gospel a hearing. They didn't want the fact that Timothy wasn't circumcised to be a stumbling block to the gospel and the Jews listening to it. And then it says in verse 4, Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing daily in number. But so notice there that Paul wanted Timothy to go with him on his missionary journeys because he was a very... Uh, he, Paul obviously felt that this guy could do the job. And Paul lived a rugged life. Paul lived a very difficult life, a very exciting life, as we see in the past. And so he thought that this guy, Timothy, had enough, uh, enough uh, determination and perseverance and character and integrity to follow him in his missionary journeys. So if Paul, who was a great judge of character, thought that this guy could uh, walk with him and go through uh, different things with him, then that means Timothy must have been quite a guy. Because we know how much Paul suffered. And who was right there suffering right along with him? Timothy, of course, and also Dr. Luke, who was a good friend of the Apostle Paul. So again, his mother, as I said before, was a believer with his grandmother. But yet, according to 2 Timothy 1.5, but his father is described as a Greek with no mention of the fact of him being a believer in Acts 16.1. And thus, uh, his father, because his father was described as a Greek, that means he was of a part of a small elite class of Lystra, who was educated in the Greek language and culture. So this, his father was probably more than likely very powerful individual because of his great background education-wise. Now, 2 Timothy 1.5 speaks of uh, the Jewish faith of Timothy. 
uh, and uh, the Jewish faith of his grandmother, Lois, and of his mother, Eunice. And 2 Timothy 3.15 speaks of Timothy's early instruction in the Hebrew Scriptures. So his, his, his mother and his grandmother actually raised him in the Old Testament Scripture. His mother, Eunice, is identified as a Jewish a Jewess, as well as a Christian believer in Acts 16.1, as we saw, who had probably believed on the Lord Jesus Christ during Paul and Barnabas' first visit to Lystra, according to Acts 14.20-23. Now, uh, look at 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy, toward the end of your Bibles. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Second Timothy chapter one verse one. Now this is Paul's uh, this is Paul's last letter to Timothy, and this is one of the, because he gets decapitated soon after. But look at it says in Second Timothy one one. It's AD around AD sixty seven sixty eight. Paul's in prison for the second time in Rome, and this time it ends in his death at the hands of Nero. And so he says some interesting things to Timothy. He really was very close. And he says, yeah, what he says in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy it gives us some insight about the, this man Timothy and his background. It says in 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, <clears throat> according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, and he's talking about him not as his natural born son, but his spiritual son. Which tells us that, uh, along with 1 Corinthians 4.17, that he was led to the Lord by Paul in his first missionary journey. The second missionary journey, he wants Timothy to go uh, along with Paul. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul wants Timothy to go along with him. So he probably got saved during Paul's first missionary journey. And then the second missionary journey, which we just saw in Acts 16, he uh, goes, Paul requests that Timothy go along with him. So he grew up quite a bit between the first and second uh, uh, missionary journeys uh, into uh, Lystra. So it says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1-2, My beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul had a clear conscience because he was faithful. No matter good times, bad times, he was there teaching the word of God. He was doing what he's supposed to do. And remember, Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, not well done, good and perfect servant, because none of us are perfect, even the, the, most, uh, the best of us. Then he says in verse 4, he longs to see him, even as I recall your tears. And some people say, well, Timothy is weak. Because he, he cried. Jesus wept. Paul wept. That doesn't mean you're a weak person that you cry. Longing to see you... Now, not all you guys start crying to show how you're strong. Look at this verse 4. He says, Longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that is in you as well. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 10. Second Timothy 3.10 Now follow my teaching, which is now in his epistles for us. Conduct. My, my, uh, my Christian conduct. How I acted. My lifestyle. Purpose. Faith. Patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, 
and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. And I can say uh, that's true of uh, every Christian and myself as well. He has delivered us out of all of our adversities. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You get that there? Remember that, because if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, he says, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, me, and that from childhood, giving us more insight into Timothy, and that from childhood... You have known the sacred writings in Paul's day, that would be the Old Testament, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So notice there that Timothy was an individual who was educated in the Scriptures. And that's why Paul brought him along in his second missionary journey and he never let Paul, uh, Timothy, uh, Paul let Tim, uh, brought Timothy along because Timothy knew his Bible he, because he knew his Bible, he was equipped and able to serve with Paul, which tells us something. If we truly want to serve the Lord, we need to know our Bibles. And the more you know your Bible, the better you're able to serve the body of Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, without understanding your Bible, you will make terrible mistakes because you're, it's like trying to, uh, let's see, uh, it's like trying to um, run a, uh, what's a, this is a manual, okay? I'm trying to get a good example about uh, if you're trying to uh, uh, do something by a manual and you're trying, to, you're trying to fix something or build something and you have the manual and yet uh, you don't have the manual, how are you going to build the thing? Unless you're really smart. I'm not that smart. Well, if you really want to know how to do things God's way in life, you need to know the Christian manual, the Bible. So Timothy knew his Bible. That's one of the reasons why, main reason why, Timothy went along with Paul on his missionary journeys. So there we have his background. He was educated in the scriptures, so, uh, and, and he was a, a spiritual child of the Apostle Paul. He was more than likely evangelized by Paul during Paul's first missionary journey. So again, we see here that Eunice was identified as being a Christian believer, and, and uh, she had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, from Paul's reference to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.17 as his son, we may assume that Timothy's conversion to Christ also dates from the proclamation of the gospel on that first missionary journey. Now, there's many descriptions of Timothy that we've seen a little bit of. Paul describes them in his writings, and let me give you some, uh, uh, all of them, actually. In Romans 16.21, he calls Paul, uh, Timothy uh, is called by Paul, my fellow worker. And then in First uh, Thessalonians three two, Paul says that Timothy was his call, uh, his fellow worker. And then in First Corinthians four seventeen, he calls Timothy my beloved and faithful student and the Lord. And First Timothy one two and Philippians two twenty two, he's called Tim, uh, Paul's Timothy. Paul calls Timothy his true child in the faith. He's also called a Christian gentleman of proven worth in Philippians two twenty two. He's called a brother. And 2 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1 and Colossians 1.1. 1, 1. He's called my son in 1 Timothy 1.18 and 1 Corinthians 4.14. 4, he's he's uh, said to be in first, uh, Philippians 2.20. He says, I have no one uh, who is like-minded as Timothy when he was sitting in Rome. Also, he calls Timothy a slave of Christ Jesus in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. 
And also it says that Timothy, in Philippians 2.21, sought the things of Jesus Christ. That's how he described Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 3.10 that he was faithful or loyal. And also, in 1 Corinthians 16.10, he says that Timothy was doing the Lord's work. So he was an individual with a lot of character and integrity. And there's another chapter in Paul's writings that gives us some insight into Timothy. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And look at Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Philippians 2.19. Now it's interesting, uh, at the beginning of Philippians, if you want, you know, we've done this book in the past, and uh, actually we need to finish it off one of these days. I studied the first, went up to verse 18, now we get to, think, to finish the thing. But it's interesting, in Philippians 2, at the beginning of the chapter, he talks about being humble. And being humble means looking out for the interests of others. And then he gives an example of that, which is Jesus Christ, the perfect example. And then he follows that up with, uh, he follows that up with Timothy. It's interesting, he was a great example of humility. And so was Epaphroditus, who was a pastor in Philippi. But look what it says in Philippians 2.19. Paul says, I, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. So he's going to send Timothy to the Philippians to see how they were doing spiritually. Then he says in verse 20, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So he has nobody at his disposal that who could... Uh, and he wrote this for Rome, but he doesn't have a pastor in Rome. The pastors in Rome needed to take care of the people in Rome. But he didn't have anybody with him who, he could, who was available to dispatch to the Philippians, only Timothy. So he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So this tells us about Timothy. He, he was concerned about other people. He was concerned about this spiritual welfare. Then it says in verse... 21. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. They have their own agendas, he's saying, but not Timothy. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Wow, what a guy, huh? This is a guy who was serving with Paul and getting the gospel out. Then he says in verse 23, Therefore, I hope to, to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So there we have, if you go back now to Romans 16.21, a little bit of a description of Timothy and his background. What a tremendous believer he was. He was a pastor. He, was, he had two epistles that were written to him that we know of. There was many more, I'm sure. But two that are in the canon of Scripture, First and Second Timothy. And in those epistles, he tells Timothy how you're supposed to run the church and how to administrate the church. And that's how you run a church. When, if you look at the called pastoral epistles, Read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Those epistles tell you how a church is supposed to be run. And it's really an eye-opener because if you look at some of the churches in America today, they're not following 
what Paul, in many instances, what Paul taught in those pastoral epistles. But look at Romans 16, 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. My fellow worker describes Timothy as a joint partner with Paul in the advancement of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. So he's saying that this guy is my joint partner, just like you guys are my joint partner. You're helping me get the gospel out. And then he mentions Lucius. Lucius uh, is a Greek name of uncertain meaning, his name in the Greek. And then we have Jason, and his uh, name in the Greek was a famous Greek name, and it was often used by Hellenistic Jews for Hebrew names such as Joshua or Joseph. And it was also a name that was used by the Gentiles. So Sipiter, his name means sound parentage. And he is another man that was with Paul when he wrote this epistle from Corinth in 57 AD that he's sending his greetings uh, to the Roman believers to. So he says in Romans 16, 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greet you. And so does who? Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. And the only thing we know about these guys is that Paul calls them my kinsmen. And that's used to describe Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater as Paul's fellow Jewish Christians. So when he says my kinsmen, he's not talking about them as my uh, uh, genetic, uh, uh, my uh, biological brothers at all. He's talking about the fact that they're Jewish. And when he says kinsmen here, we know that they're, ki uh, they're Jewish Christians in particular. So like Jason and Lucius, this individual, Sosipater, was also a Jewish Christian, and that's indicated by the expression that follows, my kinsman. Sosipater is more likely the Sosipater mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4, which describes him as the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, since the passage says that he accompanied Paul through Macedonia as he prepared for his last trip to Jerusalem. So these three guys here, uh, the only other allusion, uh, well, Timothy we see a lot, right, in Paul's epistles. I pointed out several passages where he's mentioned. But Lucius and Jason, there's no other mention of them in the epistles or in the, anywhere in the New Testament or even in the Gospels. And Sosipater, uh, we think he might be the Sosipater in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. But this is interesting. Paul mentions them. He mentions them. He's sending the. He's, he's saying. He's mentioning these guys because they were worthy of his respect. These individuals were his fellow kinsmen, his fellow Jewish Christians. Now look at it. Says in verse twenty-two. This is interesting. He says, "I Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord." Who the heck is this guy? It sounds like he's, where's he coming from? I write this letter. I thought Paul wrote this letter, Bill. Well, Tertius was the one who was. The amanuensis is what we called them. And he wrote down the dictation from Paul. So when he says, I, Tertius, the word I there is emphasizing Tertius as the subject. And it distinguishes, in the word in the Greek when it says I, the word in the Greek for I is actually serving to distinguish Tertius from the other individuals who are with Paul in Corinth and are passing along their greetings to the Romans. It's pointing him out as someone different from the other guys that are with him in the sense that he is the one who was Paul's amanuensis, who took down the dictation from Paul that is now in our hands now is the book of Romans. Now Tertius, his, his name is a Latin name, and it means that name means third son. Now he is again Paul's amanuensis, for the writing of Romans. Now, let me quote to you uh, one of the uh, great expositors of the book of Romans, uh, Douglas Moo, and he gives us a little understanding of what this man Tertius did for Paul and what we mean when we call him an amanuensis. And listen to what Moo says, and it's a, it's a brief quote. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. I'm quoting from him now. It was customary for ancient authors, like Paul, to use a scribe to write out their letters. 
and authors gave to their scribes varying degrees of freedom in the actual wording of the contents. Most scholars agree that the directness of the style of Romans, as well as its similarity to the style of Galatians and 1 Corinthians, suggests strongly that the wording of Romans is Paul's own. Tertius probably copied out Paul's dictation. End of quote. So Tertius was the guy who was his secretary. He took down Paul's dictation. So you can just imagine Paul's in, in the winter in, in Corinth in somebody's house. Uh, he actually tells you whose house he's writing this from. Uh, the uh, individual is, uh, let's see, it's a uh, uh, host to me, is uh, Gaius. So he's writing from Gaius's home, as it says in verse 23. He's writing from Gaius's home this epistle. We know Phoebe brought the epistle to the Romans. Church and the other guys in the room, uh, Jason, Sitsipiter, Timothy, they're in the room with Paul. And also, as we see in verse 23, he has, what, Gaius is with him. They're in his home. Erastus, the city treasurer, very powerful guy then. And Quartus, an individual who's just he describes as a brother. All these guys are in Gaius's house as Paul's writing down this Roman epistle. Did he write it? Did, did, uh, and, and Tertius is the one who's taking Paul's dictation. So you can just imagine uh, Paul pacing back and forth, and he's writing, and he's and he's, and he's and he's and he's all the things that we see that we've studied in the Greek New Testament and the and the Greek of the Romans. We see that's all that all put down. He was dictating that to Tertius, and Tertius be writing it down. He was trained to do this sort of thing. They had schools that did this sort of thing. So Paul would tell him what he wanted written down, and then he would put his mark many times on the thing to make sure that it was, they knew it was from him. And Phoebe was delivering the letter so he didn't have to do that. Because so, he knew Phoebe and she was trustworthy. But if you read Galatians, he makes a, a comment about that he makes his mark. And that you see what's like, uh, such large letters that were, in which I write. Look at Galatians at the end of the book. Let me show you that. He, Galatians was used, and the amanuensis was used for Galatians as well. And he, Paul just puts his mark on it at the end of the epistle and say, hey, I, I'm the one who's behind this letter. There's a lot of people trying to forge fake letters to the churches, saying it's Paul when they weren't. Look at Galatians, chapter 6, verse 11. Look what Paul says. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So at that point, what's interesting, at, he, the, the dictation was being taken down, or he, he would hear it, he was writing it with his own hand. He's writing it down, and he had problems with his eyes. That's why he wrote with such, such large letters. So he says, see with what larges, large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So he was an individual, Paul, that many times, because like a lot of the authors in the ancient world, he, not, all the not all the time did he write with his own hands. Uh, sometimes he did the whole epistle. Sometimes he had an amanuensis with him, a secretary, who he took, gave dictation to and wrote it down. And then when he needed to write out and say, here I am, uh, uh, this is me that's writing this epistle, here's my mark. So you, you understand that this is not a forgery, because that was a problem in the first century. And he took it down, he marked his, put his handwriting down. And he would write with large letters, as it says in Galatians, because he had a problem with his eyes, 
ophthalmia, which was a common disease in the ancient world, which was very um, ugly to look at and very, very painful. So Paul would not be, as I said many times in the past, not many people would welcome Paul into their church. He was an ex-con. He, uh, uh, he was considered an enemy of the, of the state and uh, uh, by the Jews, an enemy to the nation of, uh, of Israel. So Paul wasn't one of those guys that everybody would say, oh, look at who's here, the Apostle Paul. He didn't have a lot of charisma. He didn't look very well, uh, good. So that's always, a uh, that's always a very good encouragement to guys like me who are not very good looking. And we just know that you don't need to be good looking to do God's will and to get the word of God out. Now go back to, what are you laughing at that Cheyenne? Look at Romans 16.22. Go back there, please. Romans 16.22. Romans 16.22. Paul uh, it says, Tertius now, I Tertius, Romans 16.22, I Tertius, who write this letter, he's, the he's taking it down, he's the manuensis, he, he took the dictation, greets you in the Lord. So Paul let Tertius uh, get a say in here. And he says, he greets you in the Lord. What does in the Lord mean? It indicates that Tertius was serving Paul by copying this, his dictation of this epistle, and that the recipients of this epistle, the Roman believers, would be served by this dictation. So when he says, in the Lord, or we could say, we could translate it with respect to serving the Lord. That's what he means by in the Lord. And then verse 23, he says, Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church, greets you, Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, Roman believers, and Quartus, the brother Gaius, uh, that's a Greek form of the Latin name Caius, and that name means I am glad or I rejoice. Now, this individual lived in Corinth because Paul's saying that he was uh, that this man was host to him, and we know that Paul wrote Romans from Corinth, and it's, he's also the very same Gaius mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.14, who was one of the few individuals that Paul baptized in water since Paul wrote Romans from Corinth. So when he says, Gaius, host to me, that's telling us where he wrote this Roman epistle or where he dictated it to Tertius and then sent Phoebe with a letter to the Roman believers. So we see 1 Corinthians 1.14 mentions this guy. Uh, look at, uh, hold your place, look at 1 Corinthians, right after Romans. Look at 1 Corinthians, and I opened right up to it. I like that, no work. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verse 1. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.1 Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints, by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that, you, that there be no divisions among you, 
And that, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, some Christians who are very naive and don't know their Bible, they say, see, we've got to get along. Well, that doesn't mean you compromise doctrine, what the Word of God teaches, to have, uh, to have unity. That's not unity. You don't compromise doctrine. You don't compromise what the Word of God says just so you can agree. That's what the devil would want you to do. Then he says in verse 11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. He had a lot of problems with these guys. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, that's Peter, and I of Christ. So he said, these guys are making a big issue about pastors. <laughs> they're making a big deal who they're following. Well, he says, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that means Paul didn't put a big thing on water baptism. It wasn't a big deal to Paul. Because he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. And he founded the church at Corinth, people. But this Gaius, this is why I took you there. He's mentioned right there, just as he's mentioned by Paul in, in Romans 16.23. So Gaius was baptized by Paul. The very same Gaius in Romans 16.23 was baptized by Paul. That means Paul led him to the Lord. So go back to Romans 16.23. Romans 16.23. Gaius, or Gaius you could pronounce it, host to me. And to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother. Now Gaius, or Gaius, he says that uh, he was a host of Paul. And that describes Gaius as Paul's host, expressing the concept of hospitality. He opened up his home, not only to Paul, look what it says, but also to the whole church. Now that refers to members of the Christian community, whether in Corinth or who passed through Corinth, who were the recipients of Gaius's hospitality. So he was an individual that knew about Christian hospitality, that he practiced it. He was not afraid to open up his home. And that's what they did in the early first century church. Now, so this is an individual that tells us some character about uh, Gaius, or Gaius. He was an individual who had a lot of Christian character. He had a church in his own home. He had the Apostle Paul and all these other guys in his home. And the church there in uh, Corinth, they, sp they spent a lot of time going in and out of this guy's home. It was a place that everybody knew this man and his, uh, their home was opened up to the Christian community there. Now, it also mentions Erastus, and he's called the city treasurer. Erastus, his name in the Greek means beloved, and he's the name, uh, his name, he's the individual who's the uh, treasurer of the city of Corinth. So that tells us that the gospel got into Corinth in a place of, in, in, in the political uh, hierarchy in that city. Remember, Corinth was a very, a very big city, just like New York was. It was a city that was had all the problems that major cities in our day and age have. And they, it was a, a, a city that had all kinds of things like the cities today do. And this uh, individual was very powerful politically. He was the city's treasurer. He took care of the finances of the city of Corinth, a major, major city in the ancient world. So this tells us that this guy was a believer, so that means the gospel got into the upper echelons of Corinthian society and the upper echelons of Corinthian society. And we find out, if you read Philippians, that the gospel got into Rome. 
into the city of Rome. In fact, it's Caesar's household gave their regards to the Philippians, if you read the end of Philippians. And the Praetorian Guard was evangelized. The upper, the, uh, the highest uh, 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 level of soldier in the Roman military. The Roman Praetorian Guard, they were the flower of the Roman military. And they were evangelized, Paul says in, in, in Philippians chapter 1. So the gospel got to all the areas of the Roman Empire. The gospel, Jesus Christ died and rose again on the third day. See at the right hand of the Father. And um, that was approximately, what, 33 AD? So what happened? And Paul wrote uh, uh, from uh, Romans, from, a, uh, from Corinth in AD 57. So within a couple of, three decades, the gospel had hit all of the, of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire of the ancient world, it had made its mark and was making its mark in the Roman Empire. And they did; they made their mark on Roman society. They were a heathen people and they made their mark by proclaiming the gospel. And these men that were with Paul, they were major players in getting the Roman Empire evangelized. They were major players. Erastus, the city treasurer, you can just imagine him talking to these other political bigwigs in Corinth about the gospel. So we, this was uh, very uh, encouraging in the first century that the gospel had reached into the upper echelons of pol uh, political life in the Roman Empire and also military life, uh, the military. Now he, uh, he also, it, he mentions Quartus here. He just simply says, Quartus greets you, the brother. Quartus is a Latin name, which means fourth. It was a common name among slaves and freedmen. And this individual, Paul describes as a fellow believer. When he says the brother, he's simply describing him as a Christian brother. It indicates that Quartus is a fellow believer of the Apostle Paul and the Romans. So there we have uh, Paul uh, sending along his greetings from eight individuals that were with him. As he, as he wrote from Corinth, this epistle in 57 AD, he was passing along the greetings from these men to the Roman believers, and then we're going to see on Sunday morning at 9, we're going to see the doxology to this epistle. Verse 24 is not in the original autograph. It's probably in brackets in your, in your uh, Bibles. That means it was not found in the best manuscripts that we have in the earliest manuscripts. It was found in a few, and they just threw it in there the scholar, for the scholars to say that there were some manuscripts that had this line. But most believe, and I believe myself, and you can, you'll be able to find out that it's a study uh, when we put it on in, the, in writing on the, on the website. But verse 24 is not found in the original. So verses 25, 26, and 27 contains a doxology. And we're going to see that. We're going to study that Sunday morning. If you look at Romans chapter 16, and we'll close here with this. Look at verse 25. Now to him, and there's so much, there's so much good stuff in here. Look at, I could probably spend two weeks just on these three verses. Uh, it says in verse 25, Now to him, who was able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, and it sure had, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Those three verses is what we're going to study on Sunday morning, and then we'll be done with the Roman epistle, and then we're going to move on. We, it'll be our, on Sunday, it'll be our 553rd hour in the book of Romans. And it's all on our website, all the written documents, which are actually, the, uh, the exegesis and exposition is much more detailed than what I give you in an hour here. 
I only many times I have over a hundred pages of notes, and I'm only giving you four pages of notes uh, here when I when, I, when we teach it. So we, uh, we're going to finish off with our 553rd hour of the Book of Romans on Sunday. It should be a great class. I hope to see you guys here, and then we're going to uh, go to the Book of Jonah on Tuesday with an introduction to the book of Jonah and I think you'll enjoy that totally different style of writing different genre it's an, Jonah is a historical narrative and uh, about a real events and a real person Jonah dealing with the living God Yahweh the Lord Jesus Christ so let's close in prayer Heavenly Father we thank you for this time to study your word we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us understand the things that we've learned here this evening encourage us and instruct us in righteousness. And we pray that also that the uh, fellowship after would be empowered by the Spirit. Give us traveling mercies on the way home for those of us here in the home of Tyus and Jody. We thank you for them for opening up their homes to us. And thank you for those who are listening on Pal Talk and will be listening or viewing the class at a later date on the website. We pray that this lesson would be a great blessing to all of them and bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. So it is in our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone.